Okay, I want to read the whole psalm here, but I don't want to read it. I want you to read it, so we'll uh, start over here with Jock. <clears throat> you can read uh, 1 through 10 of Psalms 37, and then Ron 11 through 20, and then Brother Gerth uh, 21 through 30. And uh, Josh, 31 through 40. And so if you don't know exactly what I said, when you come to a number that's got a zero with it, stop after you read that. Okay, Josh. Thank you. 
Lord will not leave you nor forsake you. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. All right. When we come to uh, Psalms 37, uh, we come to a spiritual ailment which at some point nearly every one of us is going to be afflicted with. It's uh, the twin diseases of the fretting heart and the envious heart. As he says there in verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. And so we find both fretting and envy mentioned in this verse. And the theme carries throughout the psalm. One of the, we can take heart with this psalm, and, the, and we're not going to be able to cover it all, but uh, not only is it written uh, by inspiration, but it also was, was written by David in his old age. If you see down there in verse 25, I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. This uh, scripture being inspired by God was also a very present experience for David. And so when God inspires his word, he doesn't remove the individuality or the personality from the person, but he guides him along to the very words that are used. And so... Uh, there's been a good deal of water went under the bridge for David. He's experienced a lot of things. And he's uh, warning against uh, fretting. Uh, we find it there in verse 1, fret not thyself. If you go on down to verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way. And then verse 8. It's repeated again, cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And so what exactly is this uh, idea of fret? It, it contains the idea of worry. It has an element of anger in it. You're being disturbed. When you're fretting, you're being disturbed. Spurgeon said to fret is to worry, <coughs> to have heartburn, to fume, to become vexed. Nature is very apt to kindle a fire of jealousy when it sees lawbreakers riding on horses. 
and obedient subjects walking in the mire. And of course, that was his century where they riding horses and walking. It's a lesson that can only be learned in the school of grace. Another commentary said the psalmist urged his audience not to envy the wicked, but to trust in and obey the Lord, for he will destroy sinners and preserve the godly. One said, envy uh, in this verse is, are, is condemned, and of course envy that's of the lost person. Fret, as we said, it means to be angry, it means to be worrying, it has the idea uh, of being, you know, you're burning inside. It's, it's, an, it's speaking towards emotions, agitations, active worry. And then if we consider, he said, be not envious, the word envy has the idea of being jealous. I envy what they have. I wish I could have it. Uh, and perhaps today or in the future, maybe we're doing corrective teaching or maybe we're doing teaching that's warning for the future. But perhaps there is a day or has been a day when you've been in a place of fretting and envy doing battle with the evils of this world. And they're actually fretting and envying. They're actually very serious foes because they get us focused on the horizontal instead of the vertical. And in fact, there was a very godly man in the Bible who had almost fallen to where he was no more used to God because of his fretting. And he is in Psalm 73, if you'll go over there with me. In Psalm 73, not all the Psalms are written by David. And if you have a note in your Bible, who does it say this Psalm was written by? Asaph. And who is Asaph? Somebody wrote Psalm 73, huh? High priest? Nope. Well, listen, I think it's important to uh, look at him a little bit because I think that in looking at him, you're going to see that even the finest of God's servants can fall into this danger of envy and fretting. Asaph was a very important character in the Bible. If you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and verse 5, it says, Asaph, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah. Uh, 
let's back up to verse 4. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and record and to thank the praise and praise the Lord God of Israel. And so this is when David is bringing back the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. And he's appointed these men to go before it. Asaph the chief, and to him Zechariah and Jezreel, and the names of others, with psalters and harps, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. And so he's a musician, and he's a musician that deals with worship of the Lord. If you go over to Second Chronicles chapter 29, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, and verse 30, it says, Moreover, Hezekiah the king and princes commanded the Levites to sing praises unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And so he's wanting them to sing the psalms that we have here. And that, that Asaph not only is credited here like David in writing praises and writing psalms, but he's called the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. And so he's a man that wrote worship music, but he's also identified as a seer, someone who looks into the future, someone that can see uh, the, the future someone that can perceive the things of God, not necessarily always predictive, but he, he has an understanding about what is exactly going on. And so he was, uh, he, he, you're going to find, I, don't, I didn't look it up, how many psalms he wrote, but he did write Psalms 73. And you understand that the psalms were, were to be sung uh, to music. Now, we, we, he had a great influence over, uh, over Israel. And when you get to uh, the book of Nehemiah, Asaph has long been dead, but he, obviously he left a godly generation and, uh, and, and generations after generation. In Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 44, it, it's talking again about people and enlisting people that are going back to build the wall, build the, rebuild the temple. And it says, the singers, the children of Asaph, 148. And so there, was, there were 148 descendants from Asaph that were involved in the music uh, and the worship of Israel. And then if you go to chapter 11 of Nehemiah, and verse 22, uh, Nehemiah chapter 11 and verse 22, the overseer also of the Levites at Jerusalem, these are people that were involved in building the house of God. The overseer also of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hash Hashabiah, the son of Metaniah, the son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph. The singers were over the business of the house of God. And so here at, in building of the temple, uh, maybe they were saying this is where the singers should stand. I don't know what they had to do, but they were, they were very much involved in the rebuilding of the temple. 
And so I say all that just to say this, that Asaph was not, was not a low-life professing Christian, but Asaph was very much involved in, all, in the center of religious worship of God in Israel. He was an important person. And, uh, and he is going to find himself in a very bad state of affairs in his outlook on life. And so let's go back to Psalm 73. And we're talking about envy. And we're talking about fretting. And Asaph says here in Psalm 73, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. And so he acknowledges that his observance, his experience, is that God was good, and God had blessed Israel, and, and that, that he'd experienced and seen the hand of God in a very positive way. But, as for me, he considered himself an exception. Yes, God is blessing them, and I've seen God blessing them, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps, my steps had well nigh slipped. It's, uh, you know, it's in the spring and the fall when it's kind of warm, and, and, but it snowed, uh, or maybe ice, maybe in the middle of the winter, as it has in the past, it's rained, and you walked out there and you slipped, and you've fallen. Well, he says, spiritually, I've, I'm in this situation. My feet are slipping. I'm not on a solid foundation. I don't have my feet under me, and, and, and I'm slipping. And so there's something going on in this, uh, this godly man's life, this man that has experienced the Lord, this man who was at the very center of the worship, that he had a problem with, envy and had a problem with fretting and uh, so will you and so we need to get a handle on this he's envious he said for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked he saw how those who were not godly, those who actually were ungodly, and how that they were prospering, how that they were well off. And uh, in comparison, here he who has the great God of the universe as his savior is uh, struggling. And so he describes what he sees. He says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. I think we often, we often uh, think that, well, when those guys die or they were on their deathbed, uh, they're going to live a different way. They're going to, they're going to have their bell rung when they're at the deathbed, that they're going to finally come to their senses when they're on their deathbed. And that's true for some. 
But for many, it's not true at all. They, they go out in life just as though they live life, denying God, saying, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. And they, they suppress the truth, as it says in Romans chapter 1, right down to the very end. He said, when I, when I observe them dying, they lay there. They, they say, yeah, I'm ready to go. And uh, it seems as though there's no concern at all. We, uh, I've written here, we expect that people will come to their senses of their true state before God on their deathbed. But the psalmist found the opposite. Sinful people become case-hardened and continue presumptuously in their pride and false peace. They slip into eternity without a struggle. They have believed the lie that they are going to a better place when all the time hell awaits them. And so uh, he, he says they don't even struggle at the point of death. In verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Uh, they, their cars are new cars. Uh, they have a new set of tires. Uh, we could say their chariots are new chariots, and they, they got a new set of horses. Uh, they, they are well off. They, they uh, don't have old cars with lots of miles. And... Uh, and the, and what, doing the brand of what my friend Gary Bond well, used to say, those are called, those are Maypop tires. <laughs> I said, what is that? He said, well, they may pop at any moment. <laughs> and and uh, they, don't, they don't have that. Uh, they they uh, only have uh, the best. And not only uh, do they have their needs met, but even their very desires are met. So they're not plagued. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. What, that the pride, their position is that they're full of pride. They, they, uh, they are self-made men. They would sing along with Frank Sinatra, For what is a man and what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The records show I took the blows and I did it my way. Their eyes stand out with fatness, uh, uh, characteristic of those with, with uh, heavy, heavy weight, fat. Their eyes are standing out. And they have more than their heart could wish. He said, as I look at them, here I am, a little skinny guy. Here I am struggling to make ends meet. Here I am on a day-by-day -day basis having to trust the Lord to, because I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. And these guys, they have more than even they could desire. They're not just their wants, but their wishes. And here I am. Here I am, the praise leader in Israel. And I'm... No place like where they're at. They're, they are very, very prosperous. And then he says, they, ha they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. And so they have no regard 
for the God of heaven. They don't, they don't praise the God of heaven. They don't even give, they don't give any credit for their prosperity to the God of heaven. They speak very uh, wickedly and very loftily. They have an attitude about them that, that uh, you, you need to understand who I am and you need to get in the right place and that's behind me. I think it's a disease that takes place on the East Coast around Maryland and West Virginia and, and Washington, D.C. particularly. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. There be the people who say, uh, yea, hath God known, what you know, uh, what is God, you know, as uh, the, the man from New York said that, you know, God has no dealings in the proceeding of the House of Representatives. And uh, he's, he's a mythical character to religious people who are Christians. He's a crutch. I, why, why would I need him? I'm, I'm well off. And so he's just saying, you know, that they, 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 uh, they're very prosperous and they, and, they, and they don't even acknowledge God. In verse 10, Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. A little bit, a difficult verse, but I think really what, it's, what I've, I see was saying that his servants are just as wicked as he is, but they receive a full cup. They receive a full reward where God's children go through difficult times. Uh, this, this prosperous man, not only is he prospering himself, but his servants prosper and they make good wages. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Where's your God at? This, this God. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. They're ungodly. Clearly ungodly. Yet they are prospering. They have riches. And as he looks at them, he says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. His conclusion was, I've lived the Christian life to no gain. I've cleansed my heart in vain. It didn't get me anything. What did I gain? You know, the hippie movement of the 60s, you don't know, but <laughs> it was a peace, peace, peace child, Jesus people, Jesus freaks. Come to Jesus and, you know, your life will never be the same. Well, that's true, but they were basing it on prosperity. And he says here, I, don't, I didn't find that. That materialistically, 
for me to dedicate my life to the Lord, it never benefited me in any way physically. And he says, I've washed my hands in innocence. I, just, I was just an innocent fool in thinking this. I thought, you know, that I'd flip over a new leaf. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And now I'm not going to have to be a lowly creature anymore. I'm not going to have to be struggling anymore. That there's going to be a peace that passeth understanding in my heart. But uh, those are applied to the wrong position of this world in, this, in the sense of physical prosperity. And so I said, I've cleansed my heart in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every, chastened every morning. He said, here's where the real rub is. He says, if I try to live like them, I get a spanking from God. And they can do whatever they want to do. And so he says, not only have I not benefited financially, but I can't even attempt to benefit financially from, you know, to consume things of myself because God has me on a short chain. And he said, not only is that a problem, if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. So I go over to Caleb's house, and Clayton's sitting there, and I got all this turmoil built up. You know, I pastored for 29 years, and, and you know, I see... I see these other pastors and how rich they are and, you know, the Methodist and the Catholic priest. Do you realize the Catholic priest pays no income tax, but he lives in the finest buildings in town? It's all, you know, provided by the Catholic Church. And you, and, and, and I say, you know, I also want to go with Caleb's and I want to, I want to blow off some steam today. Like one time I had a church member who said, I came to Alaska and I did this and this and this and this for the Lord and the Lord dumped on me. Well, he was in Psalm 73 and you had to ask the question, why did you do this and this and this for the Lord? And so I want to go over there to blow off steam, and here's Clayton sitting there, and I, and I say, you know what? I can't say anything because if I say God's dumped on me, God's been bad to me, everybody else around me, all the, all the people who graduated from high school are far, you know, far off better financially. They've become teachers and and got teacher salary and have good retirement and they're living the high life and 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 Clayton hears me say that 
and he's still needing to be born again, then, then it would be so destructive. And so he's saying here, I can't even, I can't even blow off some steam. He said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I mean, the guy is on slippery slope. As he said in verse 1, his feet was almost gone. The wicked are prospering. He's, he's struggling. He can't step out of line because he has a heavenly father who's going to discipline him. And he can't really say what he's thinking because he doesn't want to affect what he knows is the eternal destiny of those who reject Christ or accept Christ. And then we have the turn as the world turns until I went into the sanctuary of God and then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set, surely thou didst set them in slippery places and thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And his heart is broken. Thus my heart was grieved. You see, he's gradually lifting his head skyward instead of comparing horizontally. He said, my heart was grieved. I was poked in my reins and his emotions. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, like Molly, my dog. Molly, my dog, doesn't think I like her unless I'm constantly giving her something to eat. <laughs> Susan won't let me, but I've been tempted to put as much dog food I could in that bowl and refill it. And put. I don't know if you know about beagles. When, when we feed the Labrador, we're not, we keep, take care of Becca's Labrador. When we feed Jane, Jane will take twice as long to eat her food than Molly. Beagles are aggressive. And they're going to get their food down as fast as they can. Well, he said, I was a beast. Give me, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me what is mine. Why are they getting it and I'm not giving it? Give it to me. And uh, he said, I was acting like a beast. He's grieving. His heart is uh, grieved. 
and I was a beast before thee, I was foolish. Nevertheless, I, continue, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand when you were a child and your parents held your hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. These, these men that I was envious of, they had their stuff, but I get glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. I don't, I don't know how we'll get through all this today or not, but let me ask you something. Who in this world is a better friend to you than God is? Do you have a better friend than the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a, do you have a friend that you can pour your heart out to and cast all your care upon him and he cares for you in this world? My flesh and my heart fell up, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from me, they shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it's good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord, that I may declare all thy works. And so let's go back to Psalms 37 and see this advice from an old man, this advice from David to overcome Psalm 73 moments. Of course, he says, fret not. But he says, how do I, how do I, how do I get over these times of fretting and these times of envy these times when when uh, I'm lower than a snake in a wagon rut uh, how do I how do I get a hold of myself well in verse 3 he says we need to trust trust God when you find yourself thinking along these lines, trust God. Trust in the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord. Walk by faith, not by sight. Remember that things don't always appear as they really are that our vision is limited. And even when things look like they're totally out of control, totally disheveled, that God has promised in Romans 8, 28, that he'll work all things for good. Therefore, we must learn to trust the Lord and if you would, just, just uh, hold your places between 73 and 37. And if you 
can't remember, one's three seven, the other's seven three, okay? So we're making it really easy for you this morning. And look at verse 28 of Psalm 73. But it's good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. How did he overcome all this feeling he had? He said, I'm going to trust the Lord. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't know what God's doing in my life, but I'm going to trust the Lord. You might as well do it first instead of last. You're going to have to trust him in the end anyway. Trust in the Lord. And then he says there in verse 3, and do good. Do good. When I get in this, this funk that, uh, that he was in in Psalm 73, one of the best ways to get out of it is get up and do what you know to do. Do good. Get busy. Get busy serving the Lord. And then he says in verse 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. To delight in the Lord. To uh, enjoy him. To, uh, well, look over, go back and we'll look in Psalm 73 again. And this, I don't think this, I think this describes um, his delight. Let's see, Psalm 73, 23. <clears throat> it says in Psalm 73, nevertheless, 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by thy right hand. So he's delighting in the fact that God holds him. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And then, he, then these words speak about his delight. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That, that, as we said the other day from the Presbyterian Westminster Confession of Faith, that man's purpose is to bring glory to God and to enjoy him. To delight in the Lord. Because we live in a society where we're not people oriented like South America or Central America, but we're uh, achievement oriented. I don't know if we've learned to be still and know that he's God. To delight in him. The sun comes up, of course, in the east, and it hits my porch now that it's springtime and summer, and I've been able to go out and sit on a, in a chair in the morning and watch the robins in the yard and, of course, enjoy the creation, but more than that, to realize that there is a God. He created it all, that he's on his throne, and everything's going according to schedule. To be still and know 
that he is God. But what is this here about? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Okay, Lord, this old Honda CRV has 200,000, and it's getting close to 210,000. And, uh, man, I see nice pickups go by my front door every day. And, Lord, I really desire that pickup. And uh, you know what? I found this out, that every pickup I've ever owned after 15 years is another piece of junk. I guess you have to change oil in them, they tell me. <laughs> well, I figure when it becomes like molasses in there, it's probably time to change it. No. What is this talking about here? If I delight in the Lord, that the desires of my heart are going to come in line with the Lord's. And I'm going to receive the desires of my heart. I'm away over time. Four minutes. All right. All right. No more rabbits. He shall bring it to pass. And then he says... Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Really interesting word, this word commit, commit thy way unto the Lord. It means to roll upon. And so, I know the Lord gives us stuff that he wants us to deal with. But like in First Peter, cast thy care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. I'm just going to roll on the Lord. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm glad that uh, the Lord doesn't require us to keep track of how many times we've worried over stuff that we had no control over. You don't do that, do you? You're all spiritual. I'm glad that this is an easy class to teach because you're all so spiritual. He says, roll it on him. Commit that way unto the Lord. Just put it on him. Roll those kids. Well, Lord, how's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? Lord, if I do this, what's going to happen? And he says, trust me and, and commit thy way unto me. Roll it on me. Realize that I'm here. I can help you, I will lead you, I will guide you. And, and that's exactly what Asaph did, because in verse 26 of chapter 73, he said, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What changed that? What changed his situation? Because he just said, Okay, Lord, <laughs> I know you got a plan. I'm just going to roll it on you. And then he says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I know that nobody uh, but myself has a problem with patiently waiting. That's a big problem with me. <clears throat> I want things done 
Not just yesterday, <laughs> I wanted them done last week. And then he says, cease from anger. Quit being mad about this. Forsake your wrath. And fret not in any wise to do evil. You know, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to punch his tires out, let them leak. I'm going to, you know, steal firewood from his big stockpile, whatever. And so, David, trust not, or trust in the Lord, do good. Delight in the Lord. Just think about the fact that we get to delight in the Lord for eternity. And these ones that we're envying. You see, the, the best part of heaven, the closest that the, these people that he was envying can get to heaven is this world. And the closest that we as God's children can get to hell is this world. But we're going to heaven. And I think that we need to look at here in closing what he promised in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit... The earth. Look down in verse 11. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Look in verse 22. Look in verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Look in verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. And look in verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the earth, or inherit the land. One, two, three, four, five times, inherit the earth or inherit the land. What's God trying to tell us? If he says something once, it should be important. If he says it twice, it's very important. But here he says it five times in one, one chapter. What's he trying to tell us? Listen. It's all going to be yours one day, so don't worry about what somebody else has today. It's all going to be yours. And I think a new thing that maybe needs to be taught on here, maybe I should teach on it more, but quit having this idea that heaven is someplace way out there where we go and sit next to angels playing harps. We're not going to inherit something in outer space. New Jerusalem's out there, 
But where does the new Jerusalem come to? It comes down out of heaven to the, to the ground. We're going to inherit a new heaven and a new earth. The word go- heaven actually is the, the earth that we're going to live upon. Not just the sky and the new Jerusalem, but we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, a place that needs no sun, a place that's glorious forever, a place where I can climb every mountain and cross every sea and never get tired out. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I know this, that I'm going to inherit some property that's the more, most glory. Listen, this new heaven and the new earth, this, this earth that we're living on now and this universe we're living in now won't hold a candle. It won't even be worthy to compare with the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to melt with fervent heat. So God's saying, listen, keep your eyes upon me. Realize that nothing comes into your life that I've not allowed it. Yes, the wicked cry out against me. Yes, they, they rebel against me. But in one sense, we can thank God that he allows us to have a will. And he's letting them do what they want to do. But know that they're all going to be brought into judgment. And know that the last chapter is not written yet. And so let the heathen rage. What do we do? Quit fretting and do good. Quit fretting and do good. Quit fretting and do good. We have our orders. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To make disciples. To teach them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. To provide for our families. Whether we eat or we drink or whatsoever we do, do it to bring God glory. And uh, one of these days, we can say with uh, Caleb, I want my mountain. I want what's been promised to me. And you're going to get it. The promises of God are as bright as ever. So get those, get those ugly faces off of you this morning and smile a while and give your face a rest and raise your hand to the God you love the best. Smile, smile, smile.